All right, before we jump into our passage this morning, which is going to be Romans 12, I would like to talk to our young ones here, and I'm going to give you an idea of what Romans 12 is going to be about, what the message is going to be about. So, young ones, if I could have your attention this morning, I want to talk to you about mayonnaise. And we've, we've talked about mayonnaise before, and if you've heard this, I want you to know about mayonnaise. I don't care if you say mayonnaise, mayonnaise, what, I want you to know mayonnaise. Uh, who here likes mayonnaise? Kids, who here likes, what do y'all like mayonnaise on? Nothing. So we've got people who don't like mayonnaise, but some people like it on their burgers. You can do it on grilled cheese. Yeah, you can, you can. You can do it on grilled cheese, you can do it on ice cream. Just kidding, you can't. Don't do it. But you can do it in cake. Like, it goes in cakes, I think. Um, also, uh, ranch dressing. If you like ranch dressing, you, you do like mayonnaise. Uh, it, you can even put it in your hair. I don't know, I don't know why, but uh, that's the word, is you can put it in your hair. Um, but whether you love mayonnaise or you hate mayonnaise and you don't put it on anything, we have to admit mayonnaise is amazing because it should be impossible. Mayonnaise should be impossible because do you know what mayonnaise is? Like most basically, it is, remember, it is oil and water, and water and oil do not mix. It's impossible. Like if you go home and you put some oil and water together and you stir it up, maybe it like kind of comes together for a little bit, but really soon it's going to separate. Water and oil don't mix. Like, like milk and chocolate syrup mix beautifully. Water and oil don't do that, and yet that's what mayonnaise is, water and oil. So how is the impossible made possible? It's because there's a secret ingredient to mayonnaise. Anybody know what it is? Eggs. Egg is this emulsifier, which is such a fun word to say, emulsifier, which is this thing that brings two things together that should not go together. It brings them together into this wonderful new mixed thing. That's what mayonnaise is. So the egg looks at oil and says, don't worry about the water. You just hold on to me. And then the mayonnaise looks at the water and says, don't worry about the oil. If I got that backwards. Yeah, and you, water, oil, just hold on to me. And they each hold on to the egg and then... You get the miracle of mayonnaise. The impossible made possible. And here's the so what for us. Please just remember mayonnaise. Oil and water. It's these people who are like oil and some people are like water. And it's like, how are these different people? Old, young, we look different. We come from different places. Like we like different things. We're afraid of different things. Like how are we really going to come together and be one? That shouldn't work in the church. And here's the thing. I really want you to hear this too. The church is not supposed to be this place where we just come and we're just nice to each other and we're just polite to each other. No, we are supposed to mix and we're supposed to love and serve one another. That's what the church, and, and if you look, you're like, well, how's that possible? Look at these people here. You know, look at, look at them. Look, you, know, look, you know, it's that kind of thing. What is, what is it? How is the impossible made possible for the church? What's the egg of the church? Jesus. Jesus is the egg. Jesus is the emulsifier that brings all different kinds of people. People who you think, that's my enemy. How could I? That's what the early church was. Enemies, Jews and Gentiles. So much. I love you so much. I live for you. I died for you. I saved you. You, you hold on to me, Jesus says. And then he looks at, then he looks at you and he says, I love you so much. I love you so much. I live for you. I died for you. I have saved you. You just hold on to me. And as you hold on to Jesus, and you hold on to Jesus, and you hold on to Jesus, and you hold on to Jesus, as everyone is holding on to Jesus and loving Jesus back, it's amazing. The impossible is made possible. We start loving each other with Jesus' love. People you thought, I could never love that person. With Jesus' love, we start loving one another, 
And that looks like we start serving one another. We start helping one another. We start caring for one another. We keep telling each other about the love of Jesus and the salvation of Jesus. That it's for anybody. And we want other people to come into this church and mix with us. So we even tell other people who aren't in this church about this Jesus and his love. That's what Paul is going to tell us this morning in Romans 12, is to hold on to Jesus, and he will connect you to other people here you thought you never could connect with, never get along with, never love, and you will. The impossible made possible. You'll love them, serve them. Hold on to Jesus, and he will make us one family. More and more and more. You never get over this. You're always trying to love Jesus and know his love, and that will grow us more and more together. The first part of Romans was the gospel of what Jesus has accomplished and that salvation that the Holy Spirit is now applying and working out in his people. And when we say people, that saved people, Paul has been saying it includes Jews and Gentiles. It's people you think wouldn't mix. Oh yes. And here's the so what. In Romans 12 we come to, so what does it look like for Gentiles and Jews, for different people to be the one church? If you believe the gospel, all this stuff, Romans 1 to 11, then you're going to live like this, Romans 12 and on. Please stand for the reading of God's word, Romans 12, verses 1 to 13. Bodies is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. These gifts that Paul lists here, uh, starting in verse 6, this stuff of like prophecy, serving, teaching, on and on. Th- those are spiritual gifts. You, like spiritual with a capital S. Like Holy Spirit gifts. Because uh, these gifts are given to each of us by the Holy Spirit. And these gifts, these spiritual gifts, are essentially acts of service. They're activities. Something you do. Uh, that you've been gifted to do. Paul says that if you believe the gospel, then the many members of the church will live like one body. We looked at that in depth last Sunday. He needs the hand, needs the foot. We, you know, we all uh, you know, we need each other. Uh, and and you know, the hand and the eye, and the, the foot, they all have different functions. So you need the church, and the church needs you. 
And all these different body parts, they have differing functions, means we serve one another. If you believe the gospel, Paul says, then the many members of the church will live like one body, and that looks like using our different gifts to serve one another. So let's just jump in. How about that first one on the list? Maybe the elephant in the room. Prophecy. Prophecy is the gift of God's special revelation of the gospel of salvation. Okay, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is such a big deal when Paul is writing this letter to the Romans because one, at this point, the church does not have all of the, all of the New Testament. When Paul writes this letter to the Romans, you've got the book of James, you've got Galatians, you've got First and Second Thessalonians, you've got First and Second Corinthians, and you've got the Gospel of Mark. That's what's out there. That's, that's what's been written so far, and it's just starting to, that stuff is just starting to be circulated. Second, prophecy is also so important at this point to a church like the church in Rome because no apostle has been to Rome yet which means the church in Rome was not started by an apostle. Which raises the question, who started it? Years earlier, millions of Jews had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast 50 days after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they come to Jerusalem and they hear the apostles at this feast, they hear the apostles preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life, death, and resurrection. And thousands of Jews come to faith. So the church in Rome was started by Jews who heard that gospel at the feast and brought it back to Rome. And some had been gifted with the gift of prophecy. Because the question was, at this time, like, how does anyone know that this gospel spreading across the ancient Near East is the word of God? Like, it is the special revelation of God. And who, who can teach it? Who can explain it? Uh, that, that, that this gospel shares the same authority as the Old Testament. Like, how do we know that? The answer is that God authenticated the ministry of his apostles with supernatural gifts that were given to them by the Holy Spirit. So the miracles that the apostles performed, like, like healing, speaking in different languages, they performed, it confirmed their words as special revelation. Like, what they're saying is the word of God. Okay, and the Holy Spirit further gifted other individuals at this time with gifts like prophecy in order to confirm the authority and the authenticity of the apostles and to help the apostles spread their authoritative gospel and build the church across the ancient Near East. You know, these, these people that are given the gift of prophecy, they're getting this gospel from the apostles at some point. But that gift of prophecy, it is, now, it is now obsolete. It has been ever since the end of the time of the apostles because that purpose that it served, that that gift served, it has now been fulfilled. When the New Testament is finished, the Bible is finished. And there is no need for apostles or prophets anymore because the message is complete. Uh, it, it's in Paul's we can go to Hebrews we can go to Ephesians where, where it talks about you know at the beginning yes we had the the apostles and the prophets Paul says we had those for the foundation but the foundation has been laid now you don't need another foundation and Paul's final letters first Timothy second Timothy Titus 
He does not talk about the gifts of prophecy or the gifts of tongues or the gifts of healing anymore. He says simply to preach the word now that the word has been entrusted to the church. And here's the so what for us. Why are we talking about prophecy if we don't have the gifts of prophecy anymore? Here's the word. It means we don't need another word from the Lord today because we have his word. We have his complete and sufficient word in the scriptures is really good news and that said these other gifts listed here you know at that time paul is 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 giving them this listen if you've got the gift of prophecy here's how you got to exercise it then he lists these other gifts that are still given to the people in the church today and each gift even the gift of prophecy each gift comes with this inherent warning and the warning is actually quite simple so service he says if you're going to serve just serve Don't use your gift as a means to an end. Don't serve in order to feel better about yourself. Don't serve so that people will say, oh, I noticed them serving the other Sunday. No, if you're going to serve, just serve. Teaching, if you've got the gift of teaching, the purpose of the teacher, why do we have teachers? So that we can learn. The gift of teaching is not given so that the teacher can enjoy teaching. That's not why they're given it. Or because the teacher feels fulfilled in teaching. Or so that people will tell them, man, you're such a good teacher. No. You'll know you're a teacher because you want people to learn. Exhorting. The gift of being able. This is this gift of encouragement. And if you're going to exhort, just exhort. It's this gift of being able to you observe others and then you're able to encourage them in the, the implications and the meaning of the teaching and urge upon them, uh, urge upon others the necessity of responding to that teaching. This is encouragement. This is not shame. Okay? Encourage in your encouraging. Generosity. If you're able to give, give. Not for influence. Not to wield it over the church. Give because you recognize everything you actually have is a gift from God. If you're able to lead, lead with zeal. Zeal in the sense of, you know, zeal's got a couple of meanings. Zeal in the sense of diligence. If all these gifts are about serving, then leading is serving. You say that again? If all the gifts are about serving one another, leading is about serving. Leading is serving, and that kind of leading, it takes diligence down a long 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 road if mercy do it with cheerfulness and that's this is more like ah, do i have to do it cheerfully can i just do it grudgingly and i'll just get it done can i do it grumblingly uh one one old reformer said this nothing gives more comfort to the sick or to anyone otherwise distressed than to see you cheerful in assisting them but to see sadness in the face of those giving mercy makes them to feel themselves despised. There are five lists of spiritual gifts. I mean, we could go on and on. I mean, you've got one here in Romans 12. You've got two in 1 Corinthians 12. You've got one in Ephesians 4, and you've got another. But, but four. And, and all of these are illustrative. You know, they're informative, but, but none of them are exhaustive, these spiritual gifts lists. They're all, they're all very general on purpose. But, but here's the thing. Of like, don't miss this. All are gifted. Every single person in the church 
who believes in this Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, the greatest gift that there is, the Spirit himself, all are gifted. Every Christian has been given a spiritual gift. But no one person has all of the spiritual gifts except Jesus. And that's on purpose. That's by design. So that we have to rely on each other's gifts. It's the same thing of you need the church. You need the strengths and the gifts of others that you do not, that you do not have. And, and the church needs you. The church needs your strengths and your gifts that others in the church don't have. So, uh, you know, raise that question. How do you find your gift? There are a lot of ways of like, how do you find your gift? One way is like, just start serving. Start serving somewhere, anywhere. Or ask others, hey, you know me, what is my gift? Uh, or, or look at your abilities. Like, what, what can you do? What are you good at? Look at your affinities. What do you like to do? Is there an opportunity? Because then you've got to look at opportunities. Where can you do? And you look at the needs of those around you and, and you serve. And, it, and this doesn't mean like, I think I'm going to try serving here and then you're locked in, you're committed there forever and ever and ever. Maybe this thing where you're called to a, uh, uh, a certain type of service and you are there forever. God keeps you there forever. Use your gifts there for as long as you're you know, on this earth. It may be that we're all called to serve one another, but you may spend the majority of your gifts serving those outside the church in order to get them into the church. We've got, we've got people here who serve high schoolers who are not in our church. We've got people here who serve college kids who are not in our church. We've got people here who serve adults who are not in our church. We've got people here who are leaving here to go out into the world to serve people who are not in this church. Um, the, but, but we are all called to serve. Uh, and you must because your spiritual gift is not for you. The Spirit gives you your gift for the person sitting next to you and then the person sitting next to them. Your spiritual gift is for the church. It's for the people who are, not, who are perishing without Jesus. Your gift is not for your own personal devotion. It's something that you can do for the body of Christ. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, you don't need a title to serve. You, you don't, we love programs. We've got programs here, but you don't need a program to serve the body of Christ. You j- all you need is the body of Christ. Uh, if you've been here long enough, if you keep coming here long enough, uh, you're going to get to this point where you're going to start asking yourself, like, what am I going to do? What am I, what am I going to do with these people? Like, and not even, you know, it's not going to start with the people that are like you. You, you know, you're, you're going to ask that question too, but you're going to ask that people about, you're going to ask that question about people who are not like you here. Like, what am I going to do with those people? Because we do not all share the same passion for this show called The Office. I get it. We don't all share the same paralyzing fear of sharks. I get it. And some of you like Hemingway, and I don't. What are we going to do with each other? That's not... Uh, Politeness and toleration, that's not the answer. What do you do when someone here needs you? Especially when it's not on our terms. It's It's never on our schedule. A long time ago, there was a man named Arthur Schopenhauer, and he was a philosopher, and he tells a story. It's this wonderful story about animals of the forest struggling to survive one of the coldest, most freezing winters ever. It was so cold, all of the animals of the forest came together for warmth. Rabbits got cozy with foxes and squirrels, nestled in with the owls and deer and wolves and bears, shared, shared the warmth of each other. 
then you had the porcupines. And the porcupines had a big problem. Their spines, they poked, they stabbed all the other animals. Porcupines didn't, nobody wanted to huddle up with the porcupines. The porcupines didn't want to huddle up with other porcupines. So the porcupines went back out into the winter snow, scattered alone, some froze. And the remaining porcupines in their wisdom chose to return to the burrow. And their spines still stabbed and they still poked, still painful, but they all huddled all the closer. This life, loved ones, your life, everyone's life, this world, it is winter's snowy blizzard. And if we try to live this life alone, if you even try to be a Christian alone, you will freeze and you will die. We desperately need each other. And here's the good news. Everyone in the church is a porcupine. There are no deer, there are no cuddly rabbits in the church. There never have been, there never will be. Everyone in the church is a porcupine. And so we are going to poke and we're going to be stabby with each other. And the closer we get to each other, we've got to keep going with each other. We still got to do it. And as you get closer with other people, people here that, who don't like the same things, who aren't afraid of the same things, disagree on stuff. What are we going to do? We've got to keep coming closer together. Talk more to each other. Pray more for each other. Worship with each other. Point each other to Jesus and the gospel. And take care of one another. Serve one another. And you know who is the most porcupine of all the porcupines in the church? Jesus. I mean, because you get near to Jesus and, and you are going to hear stuff you do not want to hear. Like, don't lie. Ever. Don't be mean. Be patient. Love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you. How about this one? Be perfect. But then what's all that good stuff the porcupine Jesus tells you too? Tells you that he loves you. Tells you he loves you no matter what. Tells you you cannot get away from his love. Tells you that he lived for you and he died for you and he has saved you. And he tells you he's still serving you right now. And that stuff can feel like pokes too. But it's, we've got to all... Because he really does save you from the winter of death. And, and we've got to all huddle around him and stick together. Right, right after gifts, Paul talks about these gifts. And then right after the gifts, Paul starts talking about love in verse 9. And Paul did the exact same thing in his earlier letter in 1 Corinthians, which we used as our confession of faith this morning. He, he talks about gifts in chapter 12, and then immediately he starts talking about love in chapter 13. But, but you've got to hear, please hear this. Love is not a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual fruit. And fruits and gifts are not the same thing. Don't mistake gifts for fruit. Spiritual fruit are character qualities like love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And while no person, no person, except Jesus, no person has all of the spiritual gifts, every Christian does have all of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't say, well, I've got, um, I've got faith, but I don't have love. No, not true. No, not if you're in Jesus. Every Christian has all of the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul's point is, you can be very gifted, but if you don't have love, then your gifts are worthless. Love will get it done. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talked about, we, we read this in our Confession of Faith, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of, uh, of these is love. You think about it like, well, why is that? Why is, like the, why is that the greatest? 
Because love lasts forever. Guess what does not last forever and ever and ever and ever? Faith and hope. Faith will be useless to you in heaven. You won't need faith because you will walk by sight. You will have Jesus physically in front of you, with you. You won't need faith. You'll walk by sight. Uh, You won't need hope in heaven because there will be nothing better than what is right in front of you in heaven forever. Every moment will be absolutely glorious and perfect. We need faith and hope right now. We will need love forever. So Paul says, verse 9, let love be genuine. As in, make sure your love is not hypocritical. You say one thing, love is righteous. Love hates what is evil and holds fast to what is good. You know, that is the weird thing of like, you got to love and you got to hate. We are willing to distort good and evil in order to get love. So we'll say things like, if if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. You know, we'll say things like, love trumps right and wrong. No, it doesn't. The world does not get to redefine what love is. Love is not calling what is bad good. That thing of the heart wants what the heart wants. I can't help how I feel. That's not committed. It's not love. Love is so much more than a feeling. Love is committed to good. Verse 10, love is affectionate. Love one another with brotherly affection. You know, often people, often, not all, often people will endure much with their natural family to remain a family. Now, often people will do anything for their natural family. Okay, that same affection should be in the church because the church is a family. Love is respectful. He says, outdo one another showing honor. You know, the world says, I'll respect you when you, I'll respect you, when you respect me. But Paul doesn't say, he doesn't even put this in the negative. He doesn't say don't dishonor others. He says outdo showing honor to other people. Here's a question for all of us. Do you grumble more about the church than you talk respectfully about the church? That, how about this? That, that, kind, that kind word you think in your head, but you never say it to your spouse or to your friend or to your child, to your parent, to a member at church, say it. You think it? Just say it. Love is diligent. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Again, that's diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Starting something new like this church in Rome, or how about like this church cornerstone? I mean, what do you do when the excitement of the new wears off? What do you do? Diligence. Love is diligent. Love is not easy. But love does not give up. Real love has a stick to itness. It's a long road. Love rejoices in hope. You can't, I mean, this is a, a you know, wait, how does that, okay, love rejoices, you, because you cannot love others if you're not rejoicing in hope. And it's because of this. If you're not obsessed with eternal life to come, then you're going to be obsessed with this life. And, and how can you live for others if you're living like this life is all there is? But if your hope is for the next life, then you're able to give your present life for others. And Paul says that will even look like time for prayer. I mean, if you're so busy about this life, this is all of us, if we're so busy about this life, you're not going to have time to pray for others. There's just no time. 
But if you're thinking on the next life, it will, it will free you up day to day to day to be in prayer for others. Verse 13, love is practical. That is, love helps. Love gets involved and love gets it, its hands dirty. You open this thing of hospitality, you open up your you may open up your home, but it's definitely you open up your lives to others. You open up your lives to others and you welcome them in. We welcome others in the church. We welcome others that are in the church. We welcome them in, and we welcome those outside the church. We welcome them in that they would know Jesus' love through our love. The church has come up with a million strategies of, of how to make Jesus attractive to you know, the church and attractive to the world. But, but right after Jesus predicts one of his disciples is going to betray him, he says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The motivation to serve others, it is not pride. Like, hey everybody, come look how gifted I am. It's not, it, it's not, it's not pride, it's not shame, it's not guilt, it's not fear. Like, do more. Why, why, are you, why are you doing more? Don't you love Jesus? Like, help! You know, and, and get others involved. It, it's not, the motive is love. Because love awakens love. Love spurns love. Love grows love. And I will have failed you today as a teacher if you walk away and you think the Christian life is really all about love and this morning was all about love and love makes me so, feel so much better. I love love and all you need is love. This is all about love. And we, yes you, and we need love. But we need the love of Jesus. Jesus' love, it is not only the love, the, sorry, Jesus' love is not only the model for the love between members in the church. Jesus' love, it is the power for the love between members of the church. When Jesus was in most in need of service, when he was most in need of help, when he was most in need of support, he had told his family and friends, he had told them what was coming for him. He was so clear about it. Death, a cross, ultimate suffering. And when it comes He's all alone. And what does he do? He keeps going and he keeps serving. He keeps serving those who not only don't deserve his service, but those who refuse to serve him in his greatest moments of need. Uh, when he most needs attention, most needs to be embraced, most needs to hear that he is loved, most needs to hear uh, that he's being prayed for to be strengthened, he looks up and he's all alone and all he sees is the cross. All he sees is death. All he sees is wrath staring him in the face. And he goes. He goes on and he suffers it all and he dies and he takes it all alone in order to serve us because he loves us. You know, theology, all that grand, awesome theology in Romans 1 to 11, that stuff can be, that stuff can be hard. And then you get to Romans 12. <laughs> you get to Romans 12 and how we're supposed to serve and love one another and you find yourself longing for the theology stuff because this practical stuff is just as hard. We do want to grow in our love for one another and we want to keep loving one another, but loved ones, our love will always be imperfect and we will fail each other. The good news of the gospel is Jesus' love for us is perfect. It did not fail us at the cross, and he loves us right now. And Jesus' love, as it works in us and through us to each other, his love, it will get us 
all the way home. And in response to that, let's pray. Father, we, we offer up our love and prayer to you, uh, proclaiming together in our hearts, we hear your love, and it is too good. It's so good, it hurts. It hurts sometimes, and it's hard to believe sometimes that you could be that loving, that you could be that big, that you could serve us in such a way. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us believe and hold on to your love again today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, this hour and the next hour and the next hour and the next hour, that we would hold on to you and in holding on to you, we would hold on to each other in love, that we would hold out that love to one another. Even when we fail each other, we don't, we don't deserve that love from one another, that we would be committed to one another and pointing each other to Jesus again lovingly and patiently, fervently, diligently, Father, bless us to walk this long road home. However long it might be for each one of us, we, we don't know. Uh, but we pray that you would hold on to us and get us all the way there. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.